Please stand if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Please read with me the verses in bold. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Brad, and if you're uh, visiting us for the first time online or here in the room, I want to welcome you. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and uh, man, I'm just filled with gratitude this morning. We spent some time last night. We had a gathering of uh, our elders and their spouses and our deacons and their spouses, so all the officers of our church, and we just... Uh, shared a meal and spent some time uh, giving thanks uh, for God's provision for us, particularly uh, through these last crazy months. And uh, man, I, I'm, I'm just grateful even to see uh, God's church at work and all of the gifts uh, that are on display this morning from the, the beautiful music that's happening, the technology that's happening, and, uh, and, and the joyful cries of the children in the back remind us that... Uh, there's people back there serving as well. And so um, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for God's people. We're in the midst of a sermon series we're calling One in Christ. We stole that phrase from the book of Ephesians, which is uh, the book that we're studying. And uh, this morning, these verses from uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14 to, to 21. The question I want to ask this morning is, how can I find the power to change. It's a conversation that I've had in a lot of different contexts. Uh, it's a conversation that I've had with young men who feel like they are losing the battle with sexual temptation. It's a conversation I've had with, uh, with the young woman in the hospital again because she's losing the battle with an eating disorder. Some of us will identify with this in our own struggle with addiction. Some of us cannot extricate ourselves from destructive and codependent relationships. And at some point, we find ourselves crying out something like, how can I find the power to change? And those conversations need to, this is the, the first aside of the sermon, but those conversations need to include an exploration of biblical and godly strategy for recognizing sin and turning from it, for practicing new habits and seeking relationships and accountability to avoid routines 
and bad habits. Another line of good counsel in those conversations would include uh, pastoral encouragement uh, to develop spiritual discipline in life. Uh, Grow in your prayer life. Uh, Find a greater connection with other believers in the body of Christ and regularly come to the table of the Lord to seek his grace. And all of those are good tools. All of those those are good and important conversations. But ultimately, our experience proves that modifying our behavior and our, and our schedules on the outside, modifying our practices, is frustrating and futile if the desires of our hearts haven't changed. Brian Chappell says, people do precisely what they love. And until they have a greater love for the things of God than the things of the world, they will not be able to stop. And if this is true, if it's true that we we simply do and serve with our actions whatever it is that's most important in our hearts, then the power to change is not contained in new actions that we try to, to change our behavior, but in discovering what it is that motivates, what the love and desire of our heart is that motivates the actions that we find ourselves taking. Jamie Smith, uh, a kind of theologian and philosopher, says uh, that the love of our heart creates the habits of our life, and the habits of our life reinforces the love of our hearts, which is one of the reasons why at Grace we work so hard to form habits. Some of the things uh, in our service repeat every week because we're trying to form our habits around the story of the gospel around learning how to confess, about learning how to pray, and so on. Um, When we, if we can, discover the love that motivates us, the deepest desires of our heart, uh, we will find that the things that we have given our affection to the most are not big enough, not profound enough to deliver what we have asked of them, the things that we want to get from those loves, the things that we've built our lives around. Whether we're going, whether what we want is relief, whether what we want is escape, whether what we want is comfort or control or companionship or dominance, or whether we're we're looking for reputation, uh, the loves of our hearts are not big enough to deliver. And yet we literally destroy ourselves to pursue them and protect them and maintain them. And so as we read Paul's uh, prayer for the Ephesians, to the, to the, for the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21, what, what we'll find is that he realizes this truth. And so before he continues, as we continue this series, we're going to see that he's going to give some instruction about what life in Christ looks like, what life in the church should, how it should operate. He's going to give some tools, but before he does that, he prays, and he prays for power. Literally what he prays for is that our hearts, that their hearts, and that our hearts would be overwhelmed with the immensity of the love of God. That believers would be captured by the beauty of 
of, of who he is and what he has done because Paul knows that only a greater love can push out a lesser love, the lesser desires of our hearts that control our actions. And only the love of God is great enough to deliver what we're looking for, whether we believe it or not. And so let's take a look at the way Paul describes the power that he is praying for this morning. We'll look at it in two ways. Power in your inner being, in words, and power in security. Power in your inner being. I went to the dentist this week, and I watched a movie on the TV that was on the ceiling. And uh, it's a movie I'd seen before, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's called School of Rock starring Jack Black. And uh, so the story, if you're not familiar, is that there's this burned out rock and roll guitarist who finds his way into teaching music for delinquent kids. It's mostly a farce, but the, the movie culminates in a battle of the bands at which Black's character gathers the, the, the school of rock band in a circle and they put their hands in and he leads them in a prayer before taking the stage. And I thought, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. Here's his prayer. God of rock, thank you for this chance to really kick some butt. Except he didn't say butt. We are your humble servants. Please give us the power to blow people's minds with our high voltage rock. In your name we pray, amen. Pretty silly. Uh, but it's actually not that different from a lot of prayers that I have prayed in my life and probably pray all the time, right? God, give me the power to ace this test. God, Lord, help us win. Uh, some of us, when we hear a title like praying for power, um, maybe something a bit more sinister uh, came into our minds. Uh, we're, we're all too familiar with the marriage of religion and cultural power, right? We're too familiar with groups and factions that harness God talk to make claims about their right to power and their authority to dominate other people. And so it's important that we are clear about what kind of power Paul is instructing believers to pray for, what kind of power we should expect to be available to us and it may not necessarily be that our team wins the game. And it most certainly is not consistent with the gospel that we should expect God to bless our desire to dominate and control others. Paul prays in this verse, he says, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened in power through his spirit in your inner being. And that phrase that he uses, inner being, is unique to, Mar to Paul. He's the only one that uses it in the Bible. And uh, what Paul is asking is that believers would experience God's power in that deep place in our hearts where our greatest affections and where our greatest fears and where our greatest wounds are found. That the seat of our moral being is the sense of that Greek word. God wants us to experience power in that place in our hearts where we, we, we hold our deepest desires and where we battle sin and where we long for fulfillment. And he says that the way that that will happen, the way for us to experience power in that place is according to the riches 
of his glory. The way that heart change happens is when our hearts are overwhelmed with something greater than the thing we've given our heart to. And he's saying when our hearts are overwhelmed with God's goodness revealed to us in the person of Jesus, with his majesty and his vastness and his elegance and his complexity in the perfection of his uh, creation, uh, in, in the purity of his character, And these are just some of the descriptions of what might be included in what we call the riches of his glory. The the word for glory in the scriptures has to do with weight, like the weight of who he is. And Paul begins the prayer by saying this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And uh, when we hear that, we think, oh, he's going to pray. He's bowing uh, to pray. But... um, For leaders in Paul's day, uh, I understand that a leader in a church would not kneel or bow to pray. They would stand in the midst of the congregation. And so this phrase is actually less reminiscent of our understanding of kneeling to pray and more reminiscent of the scene, for instance, that we see in Isaiah chapter 6 where the prophet says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the whole earth was filled with his glory. And I said, woe is me, for I'm undone. And he felt overwhelmed and crushed by the weight of God's glory. Overwhelmed and driven to his knees. And that's what Paul's talking about. The, and the specific reason in this moment that he gives for being driven to his knees at the glory And majesty of God, uh, his, the reason that he gives for his undoing in this moment is his realization of the audacity of God's love and God's plan for redemption. Uh, that, That mystery of the gospel that Daniel was preaching about last week, the the mystery of the gospel revealed in Christ, which is uh, that uh, salvation in Christ is for everyone. That it's not just for Jews, but it's for Gentiles too. All who would believe and follow Christ. Goy, as they would say, like you and like me. And Paul says that he's overwhelmed in the presence of the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Over the past year, uh, we've gathered on Zoom for what we've called a cultural conversation on race. And we've uh, used uh, Dr. John Perkins' book, One Blood, as sort of our uh, book uh, text. And Dr. Perkins makes this same argument. Specifically, he argues uh, that if we want to experience power in our battle against the sin of racism in our hearts and in our culture, the first thing that needs to happen is for us to be overwhelmed by the message that in God's wisdom, we are all one blood. That uh, we're all part of the, the same bloodline descended from Adam and that we all depend on the same spilt blood of Christ for salvation. And so when our hearts, he says, and this is the title of the book, right? One Blood. He says when our hearts are filled and overwhelmed with the wisdom and creativity and audacity of that truth, there just won't be any room in our hearts for racism anymore. 
And Paul says, uh, he, he's making the same argument as he prays for the power to change for believers. He says the same thing another way. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He, it's, a, it's a parallel phrase between uh, the indwelling of the Spirit, the Spirit through his power in your inner being, and the indwelling of Christ in your heart through faith. We moved into our house about six years ago. Uh, six years ago this Christmas, we'll have been there. And uh, today that house is almost unrecognizable as the same place. We've torn down walls, we've torn out closets, we've redesigned the kitchen, we repainted every surface several times. And the longer we live there, the more it changes because the longer we live there, the, w the more we make it our own. And the same is true for this idea of the indwelling of Christ in our hearts. You've probably heard somebody use the phrase, I ask Jesus into my heart. And, that, and that's usually someone describing the moment that they confessed and believed that Christ had died for them, that they were a sinner, that they, they needed to be saved. And uh, uh, they're describing that moment when, that Jesus talks about when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Uh, but the verb that Paul uses here in our passage um, that Christ may dwell in your hearts is not talking about a one-time dinner visit, but a permanent indwelling. Letting Jesus move into your heart. And the longer that he's there, the more you can expect that he's going to tear down walls and move things around and make it his own. This is why developing a prayer life and enfolding yourself into a, a church, immersing yourself in the scriptures is part of the recipe to find the power to change in your life. Not because mastering the scriptures will help you win every argument. And not because uh, spiritual discipline is some kind of magic potion for power, but because these are some of the ways that God has given us uh, to expose ourselves to the riches of his glory. The riches of God's glory that are enough to cancel our spiritual debt, to buy back our lives from the grave, and to be invested for us as we speak on our behalf, preparing for us a, an inheritance that's more than we can anticipate. These are just some of the ways these practices uh, are some of the ways that we open our hearts and our lives to intentionally let Christ rearrange uh, the love of our heart. And so Paul prays for power in our inner being. He also talks about power in security. I have a pastor friend whose grandson moved in with him and his wife a few years ago. At the time, this uh, grandson was an early teen diagnosed with ADHD and depression and on the autism spectrum and on lots of medication and been kicked out of schools for behavior issues and he was just more needy than his single mom could handle in her unstable situation and so he moved in with his grandparents. And over the past couple of years, my friend has shared in tears as he and his wife uh, have navigated the difficulties and challenges of getting his grandson good care 
deciphering what medications were necessary and not, holding fast to boundaries that he was constantly pushing on and choosing discipline and, and advocating for him at school. Um, it's been a hard road. But this last week, my friend shared uh, with us with tears in his eyes that that same young man uh, had just been notified by the high school that he was going to graduate on time, which was a true miracle. And that that same young man had applied for and gotten and held down a job at KFC for a matter of months. And that partway through that stretch of his first employment, he came home and announced to his grandparents that he was selling his Xbox because he didn't have time for it anymore. It's a complicated situation and there's a lot going on, lots of factors that played into the wonderful changes that my friend has seen in his grandson, but the bedrock of it all was the deep security and stability that this young man has discovered in the faithful love of his grandparents. In the, in the, the dependability and faithfulness of their home. Uh, knowing that their love and commitment wouldn't change has empowered him to do hard things and to face tough diagnoses. And he feels rooted for the first time in his life. He feels like I can admit when I'm wrong and I won't be blown away or kicked out. In verse 17, Paul uses the same word, rooted. Grounded, he says, to describe the foundation of the love that uh, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have. And the, the love uh, that he puts in our hearts when we come to Christ. Uh, it's, it's when we don't feel secure, uh, when we're not confident that we're loved, when we, we, we don't know if we are affirmed that we run to all manner of things to try to get that security. To to, we try to run back to the same old things to try to get a momentary moment of nostalgia or escape or normalcy. And we go back to that thing that has failed so many times um, and get some kind of momentary relief and then later live through the same old demand for payment in guilt and shame and repercussions as we do what we don't want to do. If we do not feel safe in God's love, then we cannot be honest with ourselves about our sin and say, as uh, Jeff described earlier in our confession, that we can come in confidence and be who we really are and ask for change. We don't have to pretend like we've already changed or cover over the things that we're still in process on. If you and I were so rooted in the confidence that God is with us to the end of the age, that nothing at all in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That he has written our names on his heart. And uh, if, if, we were, if we were marinated and up to our eyeballs in that truth, then we might start to feel the kind of stability and confidence that we need to say no to momentary temptation. Because we're rooted in something bigger and better that can actually deliver on the promises that it makes and carry us through the suffering uh, that we experience. 
If you and I were so convinced that the blood of Christ can wash away the guilt and stain of sin, if we were grounded in the reality of our forgiveness, that as truly as Christ lived and walked the earth, we are forgiven and made righteous in front of a holy God, if we were uh, convinced and grounded in that reality, we could become people who admit our sin, who can confess to a friend or to a spouse uh, that it's our fault. We can face our failures because what can harm us? We can ask for help because we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And, it's, and that's where the power to change starts to take hold, when we are secure in the love uh, that God promises. And so that's uh, Paul's prayer. He says that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And that's a funny phrase, even in the Greek, is sort of unattached to other things. It's almost like Paul is, uh, he like takes on this persona of a toddler when he's trying to describe God's amazing love. And he says, it's this big, it's big as I can reach. It's this wide, as wide as I can reach. And it's so deep, I can't even get down to it. And it seems silly, but it's the description of the, you know, the faith of a child. He, he goes on, uh, he, he goes on, he says, uh, that's, um, and then he says something that could come off like a toddler if you don't know better because he prays this. He says, after he, he, he describes the love of God, then he prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Dear God, I pray that they would know more than they could ever know. That they would understand it. what they could never understand. There's a little, a little bit of wordplay there that Paul is saying, uh, you, you can't run out. This prayer is actually that we would have the experience of being loved and secure in a love that is so vast that we'll never get to the bottom of it. Never understand it. And what it, and what it means is that we'll never run out of power. Never exhaust the possibility of changing. Never outgrow growing in Christ because the power to change only comes from a greater love pushing out a lesser love in the desires of our hearts. And greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life uh, for his friends.